Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey there, I'm Norm and this is the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. And on this episode, we're going to check out some games of late. We're going to see what's trending, what's new, and what's on the crowdfunding scene. And it is a topic episode, and this topic is the Mechanics series. And we're going to explore the rondelle. You know, round, like a hockey puck. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by... Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They're the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, presented at Comic-Con. Amazing Stories' amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. Hey, and welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Let's check out some uh, games of late. And lately, just last week in the Gamer's Garage, uh, I finally, finally got to... uh, not that finally, but finally for this game, uh, got to take it off the shelf of shame and uh, get it to the table. And I'm talking about Praga Kaput Regni, designed by Vladimir Suki and uh, published by Delicious Games. And this came out in, uh, where are we here, 2020. I'm, I'm, I'm like behind. I'm slow to this one. Um, uh, and uh, it plays one to four players, 45 to 150 minutes. Um, I always think that's subjective, you know. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so let's get to it. Vladimir Suki, um, one of my, like, he's in the top 10. I, I believe, yeah, absolutely. I have to think back to the designers here, uh, favorite publisher, or favorite designers. Um, but uh, Underwater Cities uh, is one of his, uh, you know, one of my favorite games. Uh, Shipyard. Um, and uh, so, as far as I'm concerned, um, I, I, I bought this game strictly on who is uh, the one responsible for putting this genius onto cardboard. And uh, oh, I'm spilling it a little bit. So, Praga Kaput Redney is basically um, uh, your citizens in medieval Prague and you're organizing building projects to gain the king's favor, you know. And um, it's, uh, it's such a good Euro that there are so many different ways to pursue. Uh, uh, in, in, I mean, it's a Euro, victory points, right? So there's so many different ways, thematically speaking, to uh, pursue victory points. And this is, as far as the, the, the mechanics in this game are, um, there's, some, there's some area, majority area control. There's some uh, tile laying uh, um, like there's uh, action selection. I mean, you you the, the the cool part about this game is when you choose your action, it's on this thematic wheel, um, and this wheel was probably for for the Middle Ages. That was the engine driving the whole construction because 
uh, that, that wheel generated power to uh, lift stones for the bridge, for the construction materials. Um, it, was, it was integral for progress to happen. So, very cool. Now, uh, on, on this, uh, this wooden wheel, um, you know, maybe you can call it a rondelle. Yeah, let's call it a rondelle. Um, uh, on this wheel, you, uh, you pick uh, action tiles. And the cool part on these action tiles is there's a choice. It's, it's one or the other there's, as far as the actions go. And uh, on where this uh, tile is, this, uh, this cog tile, I guess, um, where it's situated on the moving rondelle, there are bonus actions that are randomly connected because when you put this tile back, necessarily not going to be in the same spot with the same bonus. And um, yeah, so you can build, you can do some cathedral building, you can do some other uh, kind of administration buildings. So there's two routes to go there. Uh, there's, there's the area control in, in, uh, in the village, right? Don't forget about the village, right? So there's uh, all of that area control majority uh, uh, benefits for starting to build up that aspect of the community. The, there's just so much cool stuff going on in this game that uh, even at your player board position where you're building walls around um, your own uh, uh, action potential, um, it is so cool. It is so cool how, depending on the direction you want to go, you can modify your engine, your rondelle engine, I guess. And uh, I definitely want to get back to this game because, uh, um, yeah, there's, there, I, it's one of those games where I played it last week and I'm still thinking about it. Uh, now, thematically speaking, this is what I just loved about it because yeah, I uh, understood it from uh, one of the, uh, the YouTube teaches and then, of course, did my own little homework. And there's this aspect of eggs. And uh, what is important about that is that they use the eggs in the mortar uh, when mixing uh, for the construction materials for building the bridge and building roads and stuff like that. And uh, they say that because of that choice, that bridge has been up for over 600 years, I believe. So, yay! Praga kaput regni. Um, I have no idea. I should check Google Translate to see what the other two words are. I think I heard what it was, but I'm not going to, you know, add to the conjecture. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Um, wonderful game. The next game I quickly want to talk about is uh, Strike, designed by uh, Dieter Nuble and uh, published by Ravensburger. My apologies if I uh, mis uh, mispronounced your name. Um, and uh, <laughs> Strike, there's the big controversy. Is it gladiators in arena or is it dice in a bowl? Um, and, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, throw, it's so straightforward, uh, like simple in this game, but there's so much engagement. And depending on uh, who's sitting at the table with you, because uh, I play this game, oh, I've been playing it a lot, because it's one of those games there that Daniel and I uh, will play as we're waiting for the bus to pick him up for school. And uh, it, uh, it's basically... You start off with a Dyson in this, and it's a, it's, it's a plastic bowl inside the box making to look like a Colosseum kind of uh, <laughs> theme. And uh, the, it's simple mechanics. Whatever dice are sitting in the, on the arena floor, 
You roll a dice. If you make a pair or pairs, you claim those dice as part of your gladiator pool. And you basically take turns and you keep going until you have no dice left and there's one gladiator standing. And uh, yeah, that uh, that's pretty much fu the fun we're having because we're doing trick shots. We're trying to get it around the bowl. We're I mean, you could throw it in and, and, and scramble all the dice that are there to reestablish uh, uh, pip numbers. Now, here's the interesting part. If ever you roll a one, and in this case, the one is an X, they're ousted from the, they're eliminated. Um, uh, and uh, they're ousted from the arena. So that gladiator pool starts to dwindle depending on how many X's you guys keep throwing. I, cause I never, yeah, I always throw them. <laughs> I don't think I made, one time I think I hit through X's every time. So, um, and it's so fast, so fun. There's, there's not much at stake here, but just sheer randomness. And sometimes that sheer randomness can produce joy. And this is one of those games that is very joyful. So thank you so much. That was uh, Strike, designed by Dieter Nuble, or Nuble and uh, published by Ravensburger. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Hey there, we're back and let's go check out what's trending and what's new according to the BGG statistics. And uh, the first thing that uh, we're going to talk about was what's trending. And I've seen this game on social media talked about uh, and, and only... Not, not more so by the title. The title was secondary in my kind of knowledge acquisition or attraction. But the uh, the first thing that attracted me was the box cover, the art, and it's straightforward, simple. It's a square rectangle kind of thing um, with uh, diagonal um, white on the top and uh, diagonal division of the box kind of in two segments of a purple pink down into a deep purple pink or fuchsia. I might be way off. Maybe it's just purple. <laughs> but the game I'm talking about is uh, Unsettled uh, 2021. And uh, this is designed by Mark uh, Neidlinger and Tom Matson, and published by Orange Nebula. And uh, so I, I have no idea what it's about. Uh, my, like, let's go check it out. So... What it says here is uh, it's a cooperative survival game in the bizarre and wondrous reaches of deep space. I love space-themed games. I'm interested. So there's probably a good reason why it's trending. So this is two to four players. Uh, I'm a solo guy right now, at least. Well, wait. There's Wednesday uh, Gamer's Garage. Uh, 60 to 90 minutes, so that sounds reasonable. And uh, eight, four, ages 14 and up. I mean, that's subjective, right? Um, so, let's check out the description. So, lost amidst, amidst the surreal and bizarre unknowns of the far reaches of the cosmos, your crew of explorers must pull together to discover the resources necessary to survive the long journey home. 
Unsettled is a two-to-four-player cooperative survival adventure set in the wondrous and unnerving fringes of uncharted space. There are no enemies and no combat, only an environment where every step, every breath, every particle around you could mean, mean immediate terrifying death. Enemies are the least of your concerns. In these incredible conditions, you must complete a series of tasks necessary to your continued survival. Perhaps the water reclamation system on the ship needs repair, or, as usual, food supplies are running low. Before you, uh, you lies a strange alien landscape, it's up to you to complete these tasks using whatever you find out there. Each time you play, you will have a different combination of survival tasks to complete, and the things you discover and the weird properties will be different as well. So while you always start out knowing what problems you need to solve, you have no idea how you're going to use the world before you to do so, or what the world is going to do to you while you try. As you explore the environment, encountering wild and unique opportunities along the way, you will work closely with the rest of your crew to achieve your goal of continued existence. The only thing you can be sure of is each other. Lose that trust and you'll lose all hope of survival. Whoa! Okay, that is so cool. That is, uh, it sounds pretty intense. Um, I like uh, what they're describing in regards to the variability. And uh, yeah, so as far as the, mecha the mechanisms that they uh, are claiming to be part of this game is obviously it's a cooperative game. <laughs> so right away I'm looking at the next, uh, the next qualifier and, and I cringe a bit. There's dice rolling. And I'm cringing because dice hate me. Any chance they can get to hurt me, they'll do so. Um, modular board, like it. Variable setup, love it. Worker placement, I know one person who I'm going to say sorry to. I'm sorry. Um, I love my worker placement though. So yeah, worker placement. I'm the check. Every time I'm seeing what I'm seeing and what I'm reading, uh, it's it's checkbox after checkbox. And uh, quickly having a look at some of the the pictures here, um, the the game board looks to be like uh, square tiles of different environments and different powers and conditions that you lay out to create your board. And there's little miniatures that move around. And you have an interesting kind of player board where uh, it looks like there's some adaptations that you can do in regards to your powers and in regards to uh, uh, track levels and stuff like that. So yeah, 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 yeah. This is very cool. Um, there's a lot of endorsement to this game. But uh, yeah, I mean, games are subjective. You got to do your homework and make sure that you're getting one that you like. So Unsettled sounds like a game that uh, I could appreciate very much so. Um, now, what's new? What's on the shelves? Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that with a, with a kind of a, you know, uh, <laughs> biting my lip a bit because, you know, eh, here in Canada, yeah, well, we hear about those games, eh, but we don't get those games for another six to eight weeks, eh? <laughs> so the next one I'm, go, I, I'm waiting to see on the shelves is Tales from the Loop, the board game. Uh, now, Tales from the Loop, uh, IP is, is a episodic uh, TV show or streaming show, if you want to call it. And uh, the best way from my perspective to describe this is... Uh, uh, a, a really cool uh, perspective take on storytelling with the idea of like the Twilight Zone. 
where you establish this world and then within this world, these rules, these, these rules of physics can be broken. And I, I mean, I, here, I'm going to make a, a straight out uh, a statement here. I've not spent more than probably two episodes watching Tales from the Loop. And, uh, and, only, and only because my kids control the TV. And, and you just want to yell at them. You know, bandwidth doesn't grow on trees, hey? So, <laughs> um, but uh, the game here. So I, let's, let's take a quick look. So solve the mysteries as kids in a strange world set in the 80s that never was. Maybe for some people it was. Um, now it plays one to five players, 90 to 180 minutes. And it's designed by uh, Ricard Antroya and Martin Takaishi. I'm, I'm, I apologize if I've mispronounced your name. Uh, published by Free League Publishing. And uh, let's, uh, let's have a quick look to see what they say as far as the description of this game. Because so far, I'm liking it. I'm looking at the mechanics and uh, they say that they're using action points. Uh, it's a cooperative game. There's dice rolling. There's narrative choice. Uh, there's scenario and mission in the campaign. There's solo play. Uh, so, yeah, check, check, check. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a e I'm an easy consumer target here. <laughs> uh, here we go. So in the description, in the Tales from the Loop, the board game, you take the role of local kids and play cooperatively to investigate whatever phenomena that threaten the islands or perhaps just the local video store and hopefully stop them. Each day starts at school, but as soon as the bell rings, you can use whatever time you have before dinner and homework to go exploring. Player actions are integrated, meaning there's no downtime as you wait for others taking their turn. It also makes cooperating with your fellow players dynamic as you can react to things that happen in a turn and don't have to plan it all out from the start. So that kind of sounds cool from the point of view that uh, as a cooperative game, the biggest downfall, and when, we, when I talked about uh, cooperative gaming, uh, the biggest downfall sometimes is the alpha gamer. And in this case, if everyone's just going, there is no alpha gaming because you're deciding in the moment, which is really cool. Um, that, uh, that idea or perspective of, of behaving in the moment is very much like uh, the training that I did when I studied improvisation, when I did my drama. And uh, yeah, improvisation is strictly behaving in the moment, listening to every uh, uh, source of information coming in, and make accepting everything and contributing something back. So there's no taking over anybody else's decision-making points because you are engaged in your own. So I really like that. If that's what I'm thinking that this game offers, uh, from this, is, this could be a very cool cooperative game in regards to taking care of that aspect, that, that uh, perceived negative aspect. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm totally digging it, totally digging it. Now, uh, there's some very cool minis, and uh, the, the, the board, I mean, the art looks really cool. It has that kind of, because I lived in the 80s, it has that retro 80s kind of, and it's not a steampunk thing, but like I would say 
like a 80s mech kind of. Uh, put it this way, if Apple basically made uh, 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 weapons and, and uh, machines and monster machines kind of thing. So yeah, that would be very, <laughs> that would be very cool uh, reality. So yeah, that is Tales from the Loop, the board game. New to the shelves soon. Hi. If you like the content we're creating and the podcast episodes we're producing, please leave a happy rating on the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift and would also help others find our podcast when they search for board game podcasts. And if you have the time, check out our new YouTube channel where we have new content every few days. Just search Cardboard Conjecture on YouTube. Thanks, eh? And let's go have a look at some crowdfunding scene. And, uh, the oh, this kind of looks very cool. The, the, the box attracted me. And the fact that it's a next-level flicking game. And uh, this is Iron Forest, and it is said to come out in 2023. And uh, let's, let's get you some description. Oh, I am fired up for this one, because we like our flicking games in this house. So, the story. Here's the story. The game Iron Forest takes place in a fantastical land called Nemus. Several different clans called Nemus home, including Wolf Clan, Hedgehog Clan, Rabbit Clan, and the Owl Clan. While the many clans have called this land home for as long as they can remember, they know they were not the first to live here. On the edge of Nemus lies a place the clan calls Iron Forest, filled with strange-looking structures and creations. Upon deeper exploration, the combined forces of animal clans discovered incredible technology that they quickly learned how to use, creating their own amazing machines that helped them develop their own civilization. However, one day, Iron Forest sprang to life and rose into the sky, building machines of their own. This Iron Forest has one objective, to take back the technology stolen from Iron Forest. Now, animal clans must fight back to protect their homeland. The gameplay involves Iron Forest, is a flicking game for two to four players split into two opposing teams, Animal Clans or Iron Forest. Each scenario offers uh, asymmetrical objectives that each side needs to fulfill in order to win. Scenarios involve players trying to control certain areas of the game board, destroy opposing team mechas, collect certain objects, and much more. On their turns, players draw cards from their team's activation deck, then activate the mecha depicted on that card by either flicking it or launching it. Players also have access to a range of different power-up cards that will grant their side unique abilities, turning the tide in their favor. This is really cool. Now, what I, I had a peek a little earlier, and uh, what, what appealed to me a lot, well, first of all, the art. The art is so engaging, it's so awesome. I'll find out who the artist is because right now I'm checking out the um, the game board and it is a two-tiered game board that uh, integrates uh, uh, the it looks like how ice cool used the boxes themselves for 
the, the enclosed terrain area. This looks like it does a similar technique in using the boxes now, but it does, it does one level better because it creates a second level. You take the smaller of the boxes and it looks like they're kind of turned on a diagonal because you have plastic supports that rest on the edges of the bottom box and then support the top box. And the top box has drop holes into it. So, and it looks like there's tele, kind of teleport points where maybe from the bottom box, if you land on a certain spot, you get brought to the top box and oh yeah, this, this looks like so much fun. Um, yeah, see, uh, okay, I'm just going to set that tab aside because it's going to be one of those shopping day episodes. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. This is, uh, this is, let's see, here we go. Iron Forest is designed by Brian Gomez and published by Brain Games. And uh, the artist is uh, Renisa Petersons. I hope I did that. I hope I did justice to that pronunciation. So, yes, wonderful. Oh, here we go. It's crowdfunding time. Yay. This episode is supported by the incredible team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team to ensure their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer, new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Board Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. And we are back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Let's get into the Mechanics series. And this time, we're going to talk about the Rondell Mechanic, or Mechanism, depending on which perspective you wish to take. Um, so, first of all, let's, let's get to the point here with this with this mechanism, the rondel. Uh, I speak French. Uh, I have, uh, have Canadian French heritage. And when you say that word to me, all I can think of is hockey puck. And uh, from a Canadian point of view, that hockey puck is always the center of attention. So let's get that out of the way. <laughs> well, so what is the rondel mechanic? So originally... The rondel mechanic was, or is, uh, on the board, depicted as a wheel or a pie chart, you know, uh, like a pizza pie, and div divided into those uh, uh, slice sections. And in these sections, uh, they represent either actions or resources that you can take. And typically, you uh, go around this rondel, or rondel, um, uh, clockwise. And for those who don't know what clockwise means, if you're at the top, your markers at the top, then you move right and go around the circle that way, like an old analog clock. You know, like the old telephones. I'm so showing my age. Um, <laughs> and uh, oh, wouldn't those be cool if we got those back? That'd be so cool. Um, so, like I said, that whole round pie is divided into actions where it's either, uh, like I said, actions or resources, and you move around. Now, typically, the designers or, or uh, we'll get to the, you know, who, who kind of brought this to, uh, to bear on the board game uh, market or, or design kind of concept or methods. 
Um, but typically you have one to three spaces in front of you that you can choose from penalty free, right? Meaning that you, you just get to take them. If you choose to take an action that is past that, typically it's at a cost. And if as uh, and now sometimes it's just you cross that threshold, you pay a cost. Other times is for each time that you proceed forward, you contribute to that cost. So first time it's one, next time it's you it's cost you two, next time it's going to cost you three. So if you really want to move around that rondelle to go to a particular action, it could cost you a lot of resources. So you need to um, you need to look ahead and plan your your game strategy according to what is you know down the road kind of thing. And uh, so that is what is going on as far as you being able to take your actions. It all happens from this circular mechanism. Now sometimes there are games where you have one marker that goes around. Other times you might have two markers where one can never pass the other kind of idea. Um, and in other games, that rondelle gets transformed into a deck of or, or a hand of cards or a personal deck of cards that is your uh, rondelle, and you exhaust your actions. Okay. So that being said, that's that whole. This is what we're looking at as far as what makes this game engine work as as far as the mechanisms. Now let's talk about. Um, Mac Gertz, um, he's credited with releasing the first game to include this mechanism when he designed um, Antique, or Antique, uh, which came out in 2005. Now, it is, uh, I mean, it's all about antiquity. You look at the board game cover, and, and it is Greek antiquity. Now, in that game, that was the simplest introduction that we had was here's this round pie there's actions around it you go around it and as I described before um, you know what let's go through his repertoire because uh, he like it it, it it based around this genius came from his mind so let's see what his repertoire was so yeah like I said in 2005 he uh, came up with Antique in 2006 came up with Imperial which was um, I have, I've have, I've have a, a past of playing a lot of Risk, and uh, this is a very interesting game because you, you Imperial, you represent empires or nations or however you want to uh, um, pitch it, but you don't represent them. You rep it's just this interesting balance of push pull. Um, then an 07 uh, came out with uh, Hamburgum. And uh, it also says that there's a rondelle. The Princes of Machu Picchu uh, has a rondelle system in it. And I believe this rondelle system is, a tra is very track-like. So you, he starts to explore with this idea. Uh, uh, then in uh, uh, 2009, came out with the Imperial 2030, uh, uh, kind of a riff, a bigger riff on the game, sort of take it into the next era of, uh, of international economics and uh, influence. Um, in 2010, Navigador. I have Navigador. It's great, and it's a it's a straightforward, simple rondelle. But that rondelle triggers a lot of uh, um, other domains of actions and subsidiary actions. And Navigador is uh, Portuguese exploration. 
around the southern point of Africa and onwards to the the coast. And uh, yeah, Navigador does a great job of implementing the rondelle. Now, we step into, and then there's a few games in between there, but here's the definitive kind of jump as a designer because we're going to see when we talk about after I, I get ex, finish explaining the rondelle and the and the coolness about it I'll start to pick through some games and just talk about them but uh, like every good idea people are going to riff on the idea and in this case and, and what I mean riff is a reinterpretation okay or a re-improvisation of the idea um, and uh, in this case, uh, in Concordia in 2013, um, Matt Gertz uh, basically took that rondelle off the table and put it into your hand as a deck of cards. And you play these cards down until the point where you have a judgment to make on the actions remaining in your, hard, your hand as represented as cards or uh, pick up your deck to reestablish the the options in your rondelle, right? And uh, now, the real cool thing that he did was that now that you have this deck of cards or this handful of cards that is starts out being the same for everybody, there's a market. There's a declining resource-costing m- card market where you can now uh, asynchron- asynchronously modify your hand or your engine um, because these uh, like the rondelle all of these cards represent either the ability to do actions or to gain resources or you know a, a hybrid of those now your ability to to bring in new actions or more powerful actions uh, or more sp- specific actions uh, hones your way or your exploration into how you gather points. And now also, <laughs> on top of that, this is so genius, on top of the ability that now you're increasing your deck and your ability to do these actions and more powerful actions, these cards also have a um, tertiary effect. I mean, I think that's right, Thirdly, a third kind of function. Um, and that is end-of-game scoring. And in, uh, in that, you basically create multipliers. If you have the same... Uh, uh, card end of game scoring card like let's say and they use of course this is uh, the the Mediterranean They'll, they use mythology and the representation of gods like Mercury Venus and so on and so forth as the domains in which these multipliers can stack now you're talking okay uh, wonderful I could go on and gush about Concordia it's such a good game but uh, yeah so Concordia then he went on to transatlantic which was kind of a a left turn a bit from this whole rondelle in your in your hand card system and uh i just recently picked up a concordia solitera which turns all of that into a uh, a solitaire and a and a very uh interesting two-player game but i haven't read about that yet so that's matt gertz um who it like i said is credited with first coming out with that idea now, quickly following um, the uh, that same uh, that same idea, like I said, the reinterpretation or the riffs on that. I want to talk about um, a, a designer that I adore and a game I love, 
and it was in, in doing this homework that I really determined that, yes, this is, in fact, a Rondell mechanism. And I'm talking about Macau that came out in 2009, designed by Stefan Feld. And the, the Rondell in this case is a windrose. And in that windrose, um, you have the PIP uh, identifications on the outsides of these pie segments. And how it works is the dice that you choose and the pip represents the timeline or, you know, uh, in so many turns, these resources that you had planned for will be available to you. Now, that is a cool idea in regards to that. It's the rondelle in this case isn't you deciding what actions you're taking or what resources you're taking. The rondelle in this case identifies to you what actions and resources are available to you in order for you during that turn to strategically choose what you're going to do with these resources because these resources now generate different abilities that you can either go into the uh, um, exploring on the navigational side or going into the market side or yes it is so wonderful and uh, and once again there's some card play that there's and you know as all good designers and all creative people um, will will borrow and or will reinterpret um, great ideas that that they um, connect with and uh, that is such a good sign of of uh, respect when when other people kind of riff off your ideas. Now, in that same year, um, Vladimir Suhi, another one of my favorite designers, designed in 2009, designed Shipyard, where um, now not only is there just one rondelle, not just two, not three, but there's four rondelles in this game. <laughs> Yay! So if you like rondelles and you have not played Shipyard, Go check it out on YouTube or whatever, and I guarantee you that your mind will go, oh, please find this game. I need to play it, right? Your, your brain, the itch is going to, I'm going to, I'm sorry. I'm going to, there's going to be an itch. Um, and uh, yeah, in this game, there's four rondelles that do, do little kind of mini action events on their own, which contribute to a whole in regards to building this ship and setting this ship out on its uh, on its course, and yeah, that's again, there's a reason why um, I I really like Praga Kaput Regni, which I spoke to about in the games of late, is is because the depth and dimension of connection to me makes sense, and I understand it, and I connect with it. So yay. Um, now, uh, once again, uh, I, again, another riff that I want to talk about or reinterpretation or, or new perspective and, and, uh, and methodology applied to the rondelle is uh, in 2012, once again, Stefan Feld um, designed using the rondelle, hybrid now, he hybridized the rondelle system to include the Moncala system, and I'm referring to Trajan. Uh, in 2012, and now here's the cool part: it's no longer the rondelle's no longer on the board as a common uh, mechanical system for everybody at the table. Everybody has their own rondelle system 
Rondell Mancala system in front of them on their player board. Now, envision this. I think it's six kind of spots on your Rondell um, or little kind of Mancala bowls. And you have different cult like Mancala. You have multiple um, uh, markers. And in these markers, there's different colors. And so right now you have all these different kind of synergistic connections of where you're going and what you're doing and how powerful it is that you're doing it. And uh, without getting too descriptive and deep in Trajan, it's kind of like having four, five kind of five or six mini games going on this whole uh, Roman uh, Senate esque. Uh, um, yeah, it's yeah. If you love the Rome theme, you like yeah, ancient Rome. You'll dig this. And if you love euros and this whole stuff to do all over the place, and and don't want to say the word point salad, but it's Feld. There you go, right? But the idea that the Moncala and the Rondell system moving around um, was really cool, and as well. This, again, had a tertiary thing um, that it was the timer for the amount of, of uh, markers that you picked up and dropped off was the amount of time that was pushed down the track for the rounds to happen. So, yeah, this uh, I want to go play this game right now. That's how much I love this game. Uh, it Again... If you love Euros, if you like Feld, if you like all these little tracks and games and stuff, um, this is up your alley for sure. Now, in uh, 2012, before I get into start picking it off the list and telling you guys about some really cool Moncala games that I've played before, I want to talk about, uh, quickly talk about, uh, in 2012, that same year, Inca and Marcus Brand came up with a game called Murano. And if you don't know Murano, Murano is like, like a part of Venice. So we're talking about, um, you know, no roads, just canals. We're talking about transportation is canals only and bridges. And you have all these small little islands um, that are linked together with these canal systems, right? And on the outside of this board is an enormous rondelle. Now, putting the rondelle on the outside track of the board they were not the first. I think Guatemala Cafe in 2007, I'm just going off the top of my head, um, are, are uh, noted as being the first to attempt that or to accomplish that. But um, th once again, uh, reinterpretation or, as I said, a riff, like a new guitar riff, okay? Um, they, yeah, well, they moved it to the outside of the board, but now... There, as if you've ever been there into Venice, there's lots of gondolas. They're all over the place. And sometimes there's traffic. So how it works is you select any gondola that's at the front that can move. And you do, like I said, there's always the, you have this many moves that don't cost you anything. And then outside of that spectrum, anything else you wish to do has a cost. Um, yeah. So you move, you select your actions and so on and so forth. But the cool part is, if you've got some money, you can pay the gondola drivers in front of you to just go ahead a couple spots so that this guy can come into this spot. Um, it is such a cool um, um, take on, 
again, something else that you can do with this Rondell system as far as an engine goes or as far as a mechanism goes. And uh, I, I have this game. It is, it is a great game. Now, if you've, uh, it's a great game. Now, if you're um, familiar with Inca Marcus Brand, they are the ones who are famous for the exit uh, uh, series of escape rooms in a box kind of thing. So, credibility. Now, let's, um, let's kind of check out some notable games uh, that use the Rondell system. And the, uh, the first notable game for me is um, Great Western Trail. And uh, we could probably connect Boone Lake with that too because in Maracaibo, um, Alexander Pfister, his take on Rondell's is that it is a, a track or journey um, in, uh, in Great Western Trail you are um, moving cattle along a route that you choose. There's variations on this route that go into dangerous spots, but um, there's a uh, from one from point A to point B kind of thing. And then once you get to point B, you reset to point A. Um, that's the Rondell system. Now the actions in that Rondell system are the buildings that the uh, game has, uh, the basic buildings that the game has available to everybody. Um, and specific buildings that you build along this route that you have access to. Others may access it, but they only are able to take auxiliary actions. You have access to this because you, as this, uh, this ranch company, this family or the business, has established these posts along this route from point A to point B. And uh, yeah, there's such, and again, there's, a uh, um, an asynchronous or uh, asymmetry. I keep saying asynchronous when I mean asymmetry. I'm sorry if people's eyes are twitching. There's an asymmetry that you can develop uh, by either um, hiring um, uh, carpenters, uh, cowboys, or engineers because the carpenters allow you to build more buildings at a better cost, premium, uh, powerful buildings. The cowboys because this is also a deck building game. The Cowboys allow you to buy uh, the cards and the engineers allow you to have this train move down for deliveries and so on and so forth. The in interconnectivity of this all revolves around you moving down this rondelle that you develop. And, and very much the same way in, uh, in, in Boone Lake and Maracaibo, um, not exactly, but a, re you know, a reinterpretation of that idea. So. Um, cool, cool. There's also, um, uh, if you like um, Glenmore in 2010, and there's Glenmore 2 that's now out, they use a Rondell system where it's a tile building game, and the tiles are the, um, on the track. And you basically, the person who is in very much the Takedo thing, where if you're in last spot, then you have, it's your turn, and you get to pick the tiles that are in front of you uh, in a rondelle kind of system. There's, you know, first tile, second tile, third tile. Now, what's dangerous in this one is you could go as far as you want. If you want to go six, six tiles past the first one to go get a specific one, that's great. But remember, it's always the person who's in last place that it's their turn. So you could go for a big jump for a tile 
and someone could just, you know, take their time and, and be selective on the tiles that they pick to develop their own little hamlet that will start generating these resources from a phenomenal rate. So that is a very cool interpretation of the rondelle. Um, Vikings. I remember playing Vikings. I, uh, I think Ryan taught it to me at Falcon. And uh, that is also a very interesting interpretation in regards to the boats that you have and the actions that you take that are uh, connected to your, your kind of Viking exploration and, and power building. Um, I, like I said, I haven't played it. I played it once a long time ago. Uh, I remember enjoying it, and I remember being intrigued by the intricacies of this Brondel application. Now, um, the next one I quickly want to point out is uh, Vikings, uh, sorry, Vikings, Viscounts of the West Kingdom, um, and that's Shem Phillips Garfield Games. I just recently bought it, and the uh, now there's it's a rondelle system, but it's not like a, a little windrose or a little pie in the corner. The board itself is the rondelle, and at the center um, is uh, this basically step system of of uh, power influence and uh, yeah and uh, command of the board and uh, the center of power. Uh, being Viscounts of the West Kingdom. But uh, this, again, what a clever reinterpretation of the rondelle system by making the board uh, the rondelle itself. And each segment, now it's not just to fold it out and stay like this, uh, the board itself has a variable build to it. So there could be different things beside each other at any given point, any given game. And uh, I, I love that. I love, I want to see more of that because I think that itself dynamically changes um, the way one can interpret the board and one can interpret uh, how to be successful in a game. So, yay. Um, again, kind of same idea. Uh, Stefan Feld, I think he, uh, he's liking Rondell's more and more. I keep seeing this, but Merlin. I believe I played Merlin a couple times and I, and I got it in a uh, in a board game swap. Um, you you go around again. The board itself is is uh, rondelle esque, um, but you ha now have um, these markers, uh, different markers that go around determining the different abilities and different things that you can take. Uh, I I don't know. I don't remember too much about it. I remember I enjoyed it. Didn't click for me right away, but uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I like it enough that I got a copy because I want to explore it some more. Um, let's see. What else have, am I familiar with? Uh, New York Zoo has a rondelle system where going around this track, and again, you could consider patchwork, uh, both uh, Uwe Rosenberg, because uh, I think patchwork is, and a patchwork came before New York Zoo, patchwork is that proof of concept and New York Zoo is the thematic adaptation of that idea of going around a track and getting these polyomino pieces and creating your own little zoo. And uh, like I said, that interpretation of the rondelle is you moving around, picking uh, either animals or picking uh, other uh, park pieces or um, having, uh, I think it's the, the breeding aspect in regards to populating your zoo so i i have so much fun with that game i think i might have to play it this weekend um 
Croftwagon uh, is another one. I had that. I think it's Matthew Kramer. And uh, I got rid of it because I don't think it clicked with the game group. But in that case, it's a very kind of simplified version of you producing vehicles in the 1920s, 30s era. And uh, with that kind of Mercedes-Benz, um, I don't, and I don't think they get, they, they mentioned that, but I don't think it's a Mercedes-Benz game kind of thing. So um, another one that I played, I, I really like it because uh, the, the theme spoke to me and this idea of how they used uh, the, uh, the rondelle. Uh, Johnny Pack designed a game called Coloma, and it is about the uh, gold rush. And uh, yeah, the, the rondelle is, in fact, this uh, circular track, but there is a, um, there's an overlay system that is used as well with it that mechanically manipulates the outcomes of the rondelle. And it was so much fun. It's so great. So much so that uh, I went out and bought Sierra West because I I really liked how uh, Johnny Pack was looking at his game designs. Um, You know what? I could gush about a whole bunch of other games, but I'll I'll let you to discover that. The one I got recently um, that that uses a rondelle, and I want to find some time to play it, is Three Sisters. And uh, from those who brought you Fleet and Fleet the Dice game, um, the, um, they take that Fleet the Dice game and turn it into uh, now three, uh, an agricultural game. Three Sisters, if you don't know, um, is an agricultural system um, that was developed by the uh, indigenous First Nations of the Great Lakes area. And it's the idea that you grow corn, beans, and squash the corns provide the trellis for the beans to climb, and the squash provides the ground cover to protect and uh, reduce evaporation of the soil, therefore uh, creating an inter, inter, you know, agricultural species harmony. And uh, so Three Sisters is just that. You're basically backyard gardening, and the, you roll the dice and you put the dice around the rondelle, then you pick the action according to the pip value. Or the pip is indicative of the area of your garden that you're working. Um, yeah, I can't wait to uh, finally sit down and get into this game because I love Fleet the Dice game. And I think I'm going to really like what they did with, uh, with how they put Three Sisters together. So, that being said, that's the Rondell mechanism um, I, uh, I hope that it intrigues you enough and I hope I talked about enough games that made you, um, kind of go, Hmm, I want to, I want to look more about that. Um, and if that's the case, I apologize cause you might be going shopping for games too. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to what I have to say. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I'm your host Norm and I'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek Guild number 3039.